0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at FullSneakGear.com. Also, be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at Sportsman'sEmpire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Savage Arms. We all know that the human body comes in all different shapes and sizes. However, Most firearms do not. That is why Savage Arms has rolled out their AccuFit system on the 110 platform. AccuFit uses interchangeable components that allow hunters to custom fit both comb height and the length of pull without taking their rifle to a gunsmith. In fact, the only tool you need is a Phillips head screwdriver. If you want to find out more information about the AccuFit customization system, visit savagearms.com.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation,
0: habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to another Land and Legacy Podcast. We're... We're back in the backyard. Back, Again.
1: finally warmed up enough, but it's still a little chilly.
0: It's a I know. crisp.
1: I came out in the furnace. Yeah. And I sat down for the first light furnace. the yeah. The wool, nice, thick. Probably one of my favorite pieces. Uh, and I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like. A nope, vest. I need a vest. So a I only got the vest. sawtooth vest. A light vest. And uh, I'm sitting here in that. Did you, by the way, did you see the first light has a new pant that I came did. out? I did. What was the foundry? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very... I don't know if we're pronouncing it right. Yeah, I don't know either. But it's something like foundry. Yeah. Um, I'm and it, intrigued. and it took my favorite pair of pants, mm-hmm. the obsidians, the wool ones, but then they're incorporating the... Catalyst? Right. Kind of like, I think, catalyst. It's some kind of nylon material mm-hmm. in the in the most... Uh, what's Movement the word?
0: Regions?
1: Let's just say it's the regions that get torn the most. Yes. Because wool's not that tough. So the obsidians, although they're wonderful, they rip on fences easy and briars easily because they're wool.
0: Lord knows there's a lot of fences in Southern Missouri.
1: Yeah, especially on the properties we hunt. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, they they're trying to fix that, which I'm excited to get a pair. Mm-hmm. And it's in the new uh, in the new pattern. And
0: I saw the like the big side like hip zipper from the hip almost down to like towards the knee. So like if you're wearing under you know pants underneath, there, you're doing the zip
1: off those. Yes. No kidding. Yes. So, there you go. Check it out. I I saw, I don't know if it's on their website, but it's on their social media handle. So, First Light. Yep. Search First Light, L-I-T-E, on Instagram. That's where I saw it. Uh, But, yeah, uh, pretty cool things coming from them. Um, You know, we had a series a while back, not not that a while back, but just a few podcasts ago where we wrapped up Prescribed Fire. It was right about the time we ended that, jumped into wild turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, which, the other podcast this week, I'm going to give a, you got to go listen to it. It's Frank, our guy Frank, and Brett, Dr. Brett Collier from Louisiana State. Yep. Uh, LSU. Okay.
0: There's Louisiana State, and, and then, then there's LSU. LSU. Yeah. So... You you know when they get in the whole
1: college. I'm trying thing, to remember it's which like you don't want to you don't want to like oh. say one versus the other. I messed you get up offended. a while back. <laughs> I was just telling my wife this. Um, University Cause, cause of Texas Tech- or Texas University? Yeah.
0: Georgia and Georgia Tech the same thing, right? I'm, kid- I'm
1: <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. But well, you know,
0: there's people and in, in University of Florida and Florida State like they're all the same. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> apparently you can even uh, pronounce them incorrectly. Oh. And I was down oh. in Texas working, and then I said, "Oh, you went to the." I don't remember how I said it, but I said yeah. it incorrectly. I said it incorrectly. If you are a, because I don't follow college sports hardly. I don't follow no. many sports at all. A little bit of professional baseball, but not much anymore. Too busy. But um, they, uh, I said it, and he goes, "You got to make sure you say it that same way when the boys show up later." And I'm like, Uh-oh. "I feel like I'm putting my hand in a bear trap here." Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, uh, but. Anyway, it's a wonderful – I'll say there was a couple of things that really stuck out to me. Um, Because I listened in, you know, I I set the meeting up and had them recording, and then I kind of was in and out. But towards the end when they got into the real management side of things, there's a few things that stuck out. Um, It's a great piggyback onto Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Chamberlain, who was last week. Um, Although these guys work very closely together, they did, however, say a few things differently – uh, on management practices that they would use mm-hmm. if they owned a farm. Well, uh, Brett Collier has a farm in Illinois that they've been r- managing for a long time, and he does things uh, a little bit differently. And, uh, and, and his focus was different than what Michael Chamberlain said. And although most they both would agree that both practices they use are great, I think. I think. Neither regional regional
0: would have been a, a good word to describe their practices and why yes. they were uh, you're choosing to use those in this region opposed to this
1: in that region. Yeah, yeah. And neither one of them said trapping, by the way. Mm-hmm. So you got to listen to it. Some of the top or the top wild turkey biologists in the country right now, in my honest opinion. And, well, I uh, think just the, the amount of research that both of them are
0: overseeing from the graduate students and the span of uh, regions that they're covering too with that research is amazing, um, let alone the topics and, and things that they're finding out about this amazing bird. But they both are um, deep into the understanding of. The inner workings of wild turkeys and what we're seeing on the landscape
1: um trying to remember hunters. he also one line that you'll hear on that one is big fire is better than no fire small fire is better than big fire mm-hmm. and that kind of really st- stuck to me because there's that huge debate about national forest service burning up too much ground and doing thousand acre burns down in the southeast and in the southern states and and how basically they're messing everything up, but at the end of the day, burning is better than not burning. And And so he touches on that. So I encourage everybody to go listen to it and enjoy it. There was another little piece of research I
0: saw out of of Chamberlain recently said that in some of their studies, when using prescribed fire, even during some of the nesting season, they experienced less than 2% of nest being burned up. So it's Mm. not that big of a... Uh, consideration, um, habitat improvement. It's much larger benefits out of burning during those times. So, yeah, that sounds like a fantastic podcast. But I guess bringing it around, we're we're talking fire again this week.
1: That's right because yeah, it's we, March. It's March. We went through prescribed fire series in very much like the details. How to do it. Trying to prepare people for this window. And then here we are in the window. And yes. yesterday we burned about 200 and some acres uh, on our on our home farm here. And, um, you know, I, I can't think of a more enjoyable... If, it could, if you could pin me into saying one day, what's the one day you will not miss? Obviously, I'm not going to miss this one because of safety reasons. But... Um, this is the one day when we make that big fire or we may burn a couple of times, but the the, the day that we burn the most ground in March uh, or you know sometime in the dormant season is my favorite day of the year to, to work. And it's you know yesterday I got a truck. I think I was right around 12 miles that I walked. Um, and so it's my favorite favorite season. I mean, there's not a practice out there that you can manage 200 acres in one day like we did
0: no and and i think i think that obviously everyone was very familiar with prescribed fire being a a wonderful tool and i think that the statement you just said may lead into some of the discussion or potential confusion we'll discuss later on the podcast but you said you're covering 200 some acres with fire which which is obviously amazing but it's what happened on those 200-some acres or a large portion of those 200-some acres that made fire more beneficial than just going and applying prescribed fire to those acres. Oh, yeah. Totally. It, it's it's not a, um either-or kind of practice. It's, let's say, that follow-up type of practice. Yeah. And there's a lot of <laughs> potential misconceptions that we see and often... Um, you know, discuss with landowners we may be working with, or discuss with folks um, that we're engaging with through messages, through emails, questions that just come up. It's like prescribed fire; it's an
1: amazing tool. Let me just use it, but it has to be intentional. Yeah, it's not in land management. The way that we approach land management is is very much. All, almost always a multi-step process, even when it's one practice. It's not going to be a once-and-done type thing, especially if you want maximum productiveness or response from the plant yeah. communities. And so it's just like kind of getting the fine print. Oh, yeah, this is great, but now you need to go and do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so timber harvest is great, but now you need to f- do a follow-up timber stand improvement yeah. so you knock down those weed trees that were left by the logger. It, it's like... <laughs>
0: So, let's say you like to wax your car, right? If all you do is just go and apply wax to the car... seen my truck, first off? Yeah, Bought it in March and has not seen wax yet. You have... Mine is dirty after yesterday's uh, trip, too. But it is... Like, if you like to wax your car, don't just apply wax, right? That's the that's the second step. Yeah. You've got to wash the car first. If yeah. all you do is just go and apply wax to that car and sh- try and shine it, buff it out, it's going to look bad. Or yeah. it's not going to be nearly as beneficial as if you had actually gone and first washed the car. So there's a step-by-step process, and that's exactly what we're saying with prescribed fire. That is often misunderstood, yeah. and then prescribed fire is misused, and then and then we see that there's a very little response in the plant communities or th- a change in the plant communities um, or you know just growth back in general a lot of times we've seen it where people are burning and they turn what little bit of cover that they did have more into a park setting by using prescribed fire the wrong way so they went
1: backwards on the scale of of habitat improvement and i think that's where you'll see guys who are are really like managing specifically for whitetail saying don't use prescribed fire because you're going to miss the mark and it's like you know when you're looking from a standpoint of, here's your goals, and your goals is a good understory, good cover aspect, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's closed canopy, well, you're kind of already behind the eight ball from the start. Well, right. But then when you send fire through, you're behind. But we'll cover that as we get into it. Um, you know, so we burned all that. Yep. And we have very specific goals, um and really when you look at where we burned it's uh an immediate attraction i th- I say it's one of the best ways for legalized baiting for for wild turkeys. turkeys right here before season there's no doubt um and so and we already saw pictures this mm-hmm. morning on the email from the cutting back that already turkeys right there close right, so
0: right at the corner of one of the units deer
1: even close <laughs> yeah deer probably snows around going what in the world just happened over mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. um and so we'll cover some of our goals and our objectives, what we burned, the purpose of it, and then why we burned it this time and, and different things. But I think one of the biggest takeaways is, you know, we've been getting tagged in a lot of posts here lately, uh, guys burning, and uh, I think it's important to note that, man, we love that. But it also, I see a lot of other posts about burning um, happening on social media and different forums or different groups, and I'm like... You know, we're going to cover that because Mm -hmm. there's some things that it's not always a once and done most of the time. It's usually got some follow-up work if you're really trying to maximize your uh, plant response. So um, before we jump in, big shout out or kind of a reminder of our workshops coming up in June and July in Michigan and Alabama. And uh, if you want to know more about signing up and what it actually looks like, uh, that will be on shoplandandlegacy.com, or you can go and then look for the field event tab, and that's where it's at. Um, And the reason we mention that is because prescribed fire is one of our discussion points um, during that workshop. And I think that—I'll try try to say this humbly. Both landowners in the last— I would say
0: four months are using prescribed fire. The Michigan one was putting flame on the ground this weekend. Awesome, burning
1: right I here. I saw right now. I saw one of our buddies not not the client. They were burning there. Okay. Yep. I wondered. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, Ryan and Jason were up there burning, and I saw it on social media. I was like, I wonder if they're burning oh, where yeah. we're hosting. Okay, that's yep. great. That'll be a good one to cover. Um, burning in Michigan already doing it this this weekend, and so we'll be able to show some different growth rates. Yeah. And. Uh, um so you know qdma now nda Mm -hmm. has done the habitat modules they've done deer steward one and two deer steward one is now online deer steward two is in the field in the field Um, they're great courses i would encourage everybody to go to those and
0: we're hosting the one in june yeah as well up in north missouri
1: yeah At another client's property, Mm -hmm. and so you know we love those guys, and but their events are the habitat module is a good one, Mm -hmm. um, but everything's focused really around whitetail deer. That's their purpose. They're helping people, and a lot of those practices that they're using can also help other species. But it's very put around whitetail deer, and this habitat uh, habitat workshops that we're doing are going to talk a lot about other species that are native to those regions that we're really trying to focus on as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot more practices um, that you can use on the farm and how to, and then actually see them implemented um, and then uh, versus talking about deer biology and the, and the science of why a deer does that. That's a little bit of the difference. I don't want to clear that up for some of you guys that ask, ask me uh, what the difference between, their event and our event is like so um, I'm really looking forward to it I don't know of another workshop out there that uh, frankly is going to give the on the ground layman's terms habitat management practices that we utilize each and every year and talk about each and every week here so uh, if you're interested I think it's a pretty good investment for you on your farm to join us at the habitat workshop all right You got something? You want to jump right in? Well, I just, yeah, no, I definitely want to jump right
0: in. It was just, so burn unit number one in yesterday's burn, I'm trying to think of all the different types of habitat or, or techniques that would have been applied in this one burn unit before it was burned. So I know that there are multiple... Um, temporary forest openings i know that there is a large woodland in some areas probably savannah type um tsi or fsi done completed so there's vast amounts of uh, sunlight reaching yeah. the floor there is edge feathering in for
1: some of the people out there i mean i think the basal area and some of these areas and, and parts of w- one of these burn units is easily down into the 30 or oh, yeah. 40. Oh, yeah. While there's Easy. other portions, it might be up closer to 60, mm-hmm. 70. Um, but it's – and then for the percentage, guys, we're looking at probably even, I don't know, 70% open canopy in some of these places, 80% in mm-hmm. pockets, All of course, obviously 100% in the temporary forest openings, but all the way down to 90% closed canopy in portions of this. But yeah. I would say on average – this first unit that we burned yesterday was easily around fifty to sixty percent open yeah. uh, percent open canopy. And I say
0: that because we're always talking about how to create diversity. And so, roughly a hundred acres on this first unit, and there are, you know, four different types of of very uh, let's say distinct habitat types or distinct habitat techniques utilized on this one unit but a prescribed fire applied not in the same manner okay it was applied at the same time but even within those different areas or portions of the property you still had different firing techniques utilized based on where you're at within the fire unit itself. So there was flanking fires, there was backing fires, there was head fires, there was, um, you know, uh, what's, dotting fires, so where you're just dotting along. Yep. And and so every single aspect of not only managing the land from, from the mechanical means of reducing the canopy, to the edge feathering, to the temporary forest openings, but even into the prescribed fire, all these different types of techniques are utilized based on what's there what's been done but also what the end goal is for that specific square footage or acreage of that unit and that's how diversity is created and i think at the end of the day the podcast and consulting and the plans that we're putting together is that's the level of detail that we want everyone to be able to get to on their own property well Like bar none, it's not just let's go cut in an area over here and then let's go do a little crop tree release over here. It's like, no, let's put all that together across the whole property and then when we're managing it with fire, we're doing all these different techniques to be able to burn it efficiently, effectively, but then create what it it is we want to create.
1: Did you mention planting in that diversifying this area? No. because planting is also going to be included as in I'm going I'm going to return and plant shrubs in pockets to add even more diversity to these right. areas because the shrubs have been choked out cut out yeah long gone most of the shrubs there's some elderberry and different things but, but for the most sumac part most on. part yeah there's not a good patch of american plum no or american beauty berry
0: i know i saw a few dotted but not not of a substantial uh, portion of the composition that that
1: is throughout this 100 acres at all yeah and and so sorry essentially, and the reason i asked that is because i just got a text from a client who burned their first time ever on their farm nice. yesterday in nice. oklahoma oh, uh, that's awesome but well I, we had another
0: one yesterday burning in oklahoma too oh really creating strut zones you know right you know oh. right where. i know exactly where now and they had i uh, want to
1: hear how that changes their season because well, so we actually hunted there last yeah. year and it was
0: like it's too rank it's too rank you know all the switchgrass and the very um in the uh, right cattle pasture yeah all that's burned and there were 10 long out in it <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. were we there last year right at the beginning of april you yeah, know it was uh april 10th or something like that yeah um, so it's close. Yeah. And they they're burn out on to other, other portions. Um, they're uh, going to uh, hold those turkeys now. I, I, I told him I said, you keep and me updated. And mow the clover. Yep. I so said, you keep me updated. Let me yep. know exactly what happens because it's it's fixing to get right. You you know those birds are getting there and investigate. Yep. So I, I guess to, to say all that, it, it almost like prefaces the rest of the points we want to make uh, throughout the podcast is that that is <sighs> – that what we want to portray and get everyone to the level of habitat manipulation essentially before prescribed fire is utilized, yeah, because again, there's it's it's disappointing, and I don't say disappointing from our side, but from potentially a landowner who's utilizing prescribed fire and does the technique at the wrong time or. At the same time, every year yeah. or every and, three years, and not get a change and yeah. not see not yeah. see habitat progress forward um, and not see plant communities change for the good. That's why we have to be super intentional about what it is we're doing, what it is we're trying to create when we're using utilizing the techniques and then and then it happens, yeah, but it's not enough just to go out and say, "Well, I know I can burn today, let me just go and randomly pick this section." No, like we're wanting more for you and more for the land and more for the wildlife. You you have to take the steps prior to reach those goals. And I'm tickled to death to see what's going to come back out of that hundred acre unit. Like Mm. the the sky's the limit from diversity, from how wildlife is going to use it, how it's going to hunt. Like all these different things. But you 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 cut yourself short if you're not trying to manipulate the landscape in the same let's say step-by-step process yeah. as if just going and applying prescribed fire is enough yeah. and i wish that
1: was the case yeah i think this is uh this is the same unit for you guys who have followed our social media pages um you've seen this unit before we burned it two years ago now we aren't it's not set up to be burned on a two-year rotation for, it's, for like
0: the remainder, yeah, yeah, we only burned now, it. So two
1: years ago, we burned it, and it was the first time we burned it post timber harvest, and now it is set up for. We burned it two years later, so yesterday, post timber harvest and follow up TS or FSI, I guess on this slope, forest stand improvement that Chad has implemented hardcore. So it's been thinned even more. Uh, this is the same slope you've seen a lot of pictures of. We share a lot of this, the pictures from this slope uh, with clients. And then also, um, this is where we saw the Royal fly mm-hmm. last year that started growing. It's a very diverse uh, area. West-facing, south-facing, south, south facing kind of uh, just a, a nice, long, basically west-facing ridge um, or slope that, that man, it's going to be so good.
0: It's it's the kind of slope, and I shot some videos for
1: social media.
0: It's the kind of slope, and it's the kind of practice that. And I, I remember this. I, it, I didn't think it was um, important at the time when it happened. It was more of a kind of chuckle, but yeah. a gentleman stopped us on the road and was like, "What are you guys doing?" Yeah, remember that? Oh yeah, and it was like, "Well, we're changing the place," and and yeah. it was it, it came from a from a from a position of like worry like oh my gosh i've never seen someone cut so much timber and leave it laying or doing something so drastic and then burning it yeah. and then leaving it and i'm air quoting exposed
1: to erosion <laughs> and, and or we're cutting all the oak trees that was yeah, the on- another yeah. neighbor said that well what are the deer going to eat now right and yep.
0: and now those those same people um and others drive by it in amazement in the summer and say, "Whoa, what the heck?" Yeah, I mean, for for someone, we were shocked at what came back.
1: Yeah, I I knew the you, you know there's we knew pockets. grasses would come back and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. different things. There's remnants. we didn't know roll catch fly. There's, there's, there's rem that's a lot of
0: great things, and the southerly exposure and and everything. There was like, well, that's gonna be great, but yeah. we didn't know how great. But imagine I, something I was thinking about the other day is like, imagine those same people's position from when they saw it like happening, like through the, the, the implementation process and now they come back and, and routinely will drive it because they're amazed at what it looks like, the beauty and everything else. So like, wonder what they say, wonder yeah. what they think, like what was their mind shift change? Because if there wasn't any mo- I mean, I don't think you could find a more visual drastic change from the general landscape around than that area there. Yep. That would be like enough powerful, you know, transition to say, see,
1: told you. Mm-hmm. Like, come on now. I think it's a great, a great template for guys who have slopes that say, I don't know what to do with my slopes. Yeah. I can't plant food plots. I can't it's hardly hunt them. I can't hunt them. Well, you can feed them and
0: hold deer in them. Heck yeah. That's what we're doing. And you can improve. You can improve the erosion. You can improve water retention. You can improve the de- species diversity. Brood rearing habitat.
1: Oh, nesting habitat. Endless. Fawn it, it, Eventually, rearing. we're going to cut a road that takes this 100-and-something acre slope and burn tw- it two different it. spots. Yeah. So it's two different spots. So part of the slope gets burned, and, yep. and uh, the other part sets for another year or two. And uh, that's how we're going to diversify it even more, and and eventually we won't burn it. You know, the last time we burned it, it was late March. Two years, two years later, yesterday, we burn it. Here we are, late March. Yep. We're not going to do that every time. It may no. catch a growing season fire in the future. Mm-hmm. We may back a growing season fire through there, yeah, or we okay. may go through and just throw some sparks out and throw some dots out and just let it burn in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. In in a drought in September, we sure. don't know. But we definitely know we're not going to do the same thing over and over and over and expect different plants to grow. That's right. That's right. I think that's a that's that's where I guess the whole point of that fire unit is the correlation or what we really want to focus on is if you're burning closed canopy forest. That's where you're really limited yourself or limiting yourself on plant response. Uh, and I think that's where some people don't see prescribed fire as beneficial to whitetail deer. Because if you have closed canopy forest and you're burning, I mean, you're basically planting it, it would be the same theory as planting a garden and not giving it any kind of nutrients and yet just struggling to grow and it takes five years to grow in the understory or without the nutrients to get to a point where Uh, if uh, you could take let's just say you've got a spot that's full sun plenty of nutrients it's not it's not in the the shadows of the big trees it's not in closed canopy and then you have an area that is in the closed canopy the exact same age and one looks like it's barely growing the other one looks like it's going crazy and then you burn it you know you're going to get great response in the full sunlight and it's going to take years to get even equal to what's happening um In that closed canopy versus in the full sunlight, so that 's where you see guys burning closed canopy, and it 's like yeah we 're trying to help the deer well you 're really you 're really not
0: you're you're taking two steps backwards when when again we should be moving forward and and you 're doing that because you put step two in in front of step one yeah and and again, that one plus one doesn 't equal two you've you 've got to take things. Through in a methodical uh, way, and that's I, I think I said it earlier. It's like you have to be intentional when you're managing for a specific plant response. I don't care if you're in Michigan or you're in Florida or North Carolina or Tennessee, where you're at specifically on your property, you've got to you've got to have that plan. You've got to be yeah. super deliberate as to what it is you want to make that unit again whether it's five acres or it's 50 acres or 500 acres what do you want that unit to be before you ever drop a match yeah because you can't drop a match without the plan because you're not achieving anything that, you know you there's some areas sure where maybe along the edge of a burn unit, along the edge of a food plot, you'll get a great response. But if you don't go to the center of that burn unit in the summer and realize, wow, it's wide open, it literally is a park, there's nothing happening in here, yeah. you don't learn. Yeah. You don't learn that
1: that wasn't the right technique. Yeah. But we see that so much. In what we. That's we, why so many times we tell a guy, we tell landowners, that if you're buying things for the farm... You better buy a chainsaw before you buy a drip torch. Yeah. Because if you buy the drip torch, you're gonna have fun and you're gonna think this is cool, but you ultimately you're you're hurting yourself from a cover aspect. It, it, right. Specifically and, and and really even forage too. Yeah. Specifically if you're
0: burning the closed canopy timber. Or yeah. we also commonly will see people going out and burning just straight grasses and it could be a mixture of cool season non natives, fescue smooth brome mixed in with some natives that are popping through like Indian grass, little blue, big blue stem, but they're switch burning grass. In, switch grass. I but, think you might have said yeah, that, but but they're burning March, February, early April all the time. That was a in unique the,
1: way of saying those months. Yeah, I just was flip flopping. I'm <laughs> all over the place right now. February, <laughs> March, April you burn you burn it in those three months, at some point you burn it you you burn your grasses at that point. Dormant
0: season is dormant
1: season, right? Yeah.
0: So you know it doesn't matter if it's February fifteenth or March fifteenth when your spring greenup is April fifteenth every year. It's a dormant season burn.
1: Yeah. But you get the same result. You, you you're basically oh. going from a six foot tall area grass or a or a four foot tall to maybe a three foot tall. You're really just changing the the height of that plant of of those of those grasses within that year. You're burning off the thatch. You're not really changing anything about the plant communities, and and a lot of times in those areas that
0: do have that cool season grass component, where it is this mixture, um, you're actually improving the ability for that cool season grass to come back and take out more of the the square footage of that acre that acreage yeah. that you burned because you remove the thatch that help block. Maybe some of that growth of the cool season in the early spring, and it's got this bigger, better jump coming out of um, the winter into early spring, and you may see even a reduction of those grasses that were providing more of the cover. So, again, in that same situation, it's prescribed fire is a wonderful tool, but until you've removed the non-natives or until you've applied a dormant season disc or until you've changed the timing of that fire from a dormant season to a growing season, you're changing the height of the cover, but you're not changing the composition of the cover. And just straight grasses is not what we're hoping to, you know, with the information Education through the podcast. That's that's not the end goal. That's not the desired effect that you want on on a landscape or in a specific unit. If you're managing for white-tailed deer or wild turkeys or bobwhite quail <laughs> or, or almost, pheasants or almost anything. Yeah. yeah. So it's like we yeah. want to con- like we're driving things home. We've we're said it stepping before, on toes, but we'll but say it again. Those are just it, common if you, things we're
1: seeing. If you tried to remove all the grass on your property, you wouldn't. You most likely wouldn't be successful at it you're yeah. probably always going to have grass. Most of the time, you have too much grass.
0: Well, and, yeah, yeah. It, you know, an, another topic that um, we're seeing, specifically in that first unit we were, were burned, there was, you know, a beautiful edge feather project that bled right into a, a woodland, um, but there were some large cedars and a lot of down tree structures along the edge of that food plot. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know... During the growing season, during the fall, I mean, it looked fantastic. It was like, okay, well, deer entering, they're entering here, here, and here. And I know there's probably people thinking, well, you guys burnt the edge feathering. Like, so you went in there, you cut all that stuff, mm-hmm. you had the structure, you were steering deer, and then you went in and you burned it. Like, didn't that just reduce all the cover? And no, no, like the structure of those canopies well, of the cedar skeleton. I would say yes and no. Well, to to some degree, sure. To some degree, some of the some of the canopies um, that the they've needles. dried out, yeah, yep. those are gone, yep. whoopee. But the actual structure that's going to allow more growth to come back, more diversity of the brambles, of some grasses, of forbs, of more woody resprouts, is actually going to come back at a higher rate and a more diverse rate. And still be super productive from an edge feathering yeah. project. I mean, and these some of these cedars went up, and we're talking, we'll show pictures on social media yeah. over the next couple of weeks and some drone shots and videos on YouTube, but, I mean, we're talking
1: 20, 30, 35-foot flame heights. These yeah. things went up like a bomb. I didn't notice, but there was a snag on the north side of that food plot, yes, Old Orchard, a, a split snag. Did mm-hmm. it fall? I don't believe so. Oh. I kind of expected to see it laying on the middle of food plot and we're like, Oh great, clean up. I told him at least with that the south wind was
0: blowing into the uh, the the unit itself, so we didn't pay yeah. too much attention to it. But there wasn't a cedar right there dead in front that really blew up and it smoked a little bit. Yeah. But wasn't didn't look like anything gotcha. too too I, uh, I, concerning. I
1: should say on that old orchard food plot, what we <laughs> did was an open edge feathering, like It's a smaller food plot, so it's not like deer going to the end and, you know, they do that just because they cross it. But at the same time, it's such a small food plot, and really our overall goal is habitat. We're not going to get too particular about closed-edge feathering versus open-edge feathering. If you are in a big food plot and you're really making sure you don't want deer to cross right there, that's where incorporating hinge cuts mm -hmm. really comes into play because even if you send fire through there, you still have... A, a living structure that's not going to... I mean, it's going to be hard for you to get a fire hot enough to just roast all those trees and kill them. Yeah. And, and then it still takes several years for those hinge cuts and, and to break down. It's still, so.
0: Yeah, they're still that structure is still there. I think that's just like, let's say the fallacy or the misunderstanding of, of applying prescribed fire. Um, many of the trees that may be laying on the ground. So let's say you've gone in, you mechanically reduced the canopy. Um, there's there's a reduction of the canopy or of the tree that's there. But typically prescribed fire is not sitting there roasting those things and completely consuming any of that woody structure or excuse me all of that woody structure that is on the ground it's still there this is so like within that unit that had the logging done and then that follow-up tsi that was drastically reduced canopy wise that first fire sure some canopies engulfed and went in flames but at the end of the day, there was still some of the woody structure there, and then even this second burn two years later, canopies were still burning tops were still burning from that initial mechanical reduction three four years ago yeah like it it takes time, and <sighs> prescribed fire is such a wonderful tool it's such a it's a tool like you have to have like that healthy relationship with it or healthy fear of knowing how to apply it, but it's not this giant, evil beast of absolute destruction when applied right. No. And I think that can lead into how different firing techniques were applied throughout this one burn unit. Yeah, so two 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 years ago
1: when we burned it, it was post- harvest in a little area, some, portions, some of portions of TSI, and we basically lit the top <laughs> to try to save some of the nice trees up top, but frankly, we let fire do some thinning for us, and we head-fired it because, all the way along that the bottom. Because that was the goal. That was the goal. We're going to thin some trees, we're going to drastically set this back, we want to have snags, we want to have trees that stay dead, that we kill, that stay standing for for cavity nesting uh, birds and Insects and all kinds of other things, so we definitely want to diversify the forest with that. So we sent a head fire, and we did it in the in the idea, I guess, or in the practice of just dropping the drip torch down and just running fuel, a solid line of fuel and a
0: solid line of flame that yeah. was continuous across the whole southern boundary. So
1: basically, it was just like a whole football team just rushing in a line, Red Rover, Red Rover. Yeah. Basically, the whole everybody runs, and they can just that Full. fire is just basically building together and there's a lot of heat, so it just keeps screaming.
0: It's a full-on, like, full blitz.
1: Yeah, full blitz, right up the hillside. Mm-hmm. And we killed some trees, we thinned, that, and that caused thinning even more trees that weren't cut, but it really made it awesome. I mean, it made it awesome. And, and it was a...
0: With that, it was obviously a let's say a full blitz it's like a front that moves across like everyone's seen those thunderstorms, it's like, wow now that is the that is the front yeah. that's coming. It's a wall it's of a fire. Yeah, it's a wall of fire all moving fast and moving together, but at that same time it is moving fast. Yeah. And so it's not having a lot of um let's say residual heat on certain um species and so it's moving at a rapid pace up this slope it does a lot of amazing things but it's much different than what was applied this time
1: yeah and so this time basically we did a lot more backing and let it back down we did some flanking so we got a little bit more heat uh more heat than our than our backing fire but not as much as our head fires um but then Chad and our friend Scott was burning, and instead of lighting solid lines at the base of the hill, they were dotting it out, so you would get, it's more like a that blitz, that whole Defensive line screaming after screaming yeah. through, trying you, to get the QB. A, you sent in a, a defensive like end, one guy going, and the others trying to follow in behind it, trying yeah. to veer off from it, build some steam. So there was a little head fire, but some flanking going, building off of that, and uh, and and then some pulling together as two little dots would go up the hill and then feel the heat and suck in towards each other. Yeah, and so not as intense. But not as slow going as a backing fire all the way down the slope. And, and so
0: there will be videos on this YouTube coming up, but, but for the, this was all done based on fuel loads that remained. Okay, so this area was burned two years ago. So you, you're placing these dots and literally it's just dripping the, tipping the drip torch over. And those dots, as they're moving up the slope, you know, they're, they're heading let's just say, uh, upward direction, but they're also spreading out. And so you're getting different fire heats as they're pulling oxygen across the slope differently, and then they'll connect and hit different patches of fuel. But but they were dropping these dots in areas that um, didn't necessarily have retention trees, trees that, that really wanted to be saved. And so they're drip, doping, dri- dripping them, excuse me, um, In areas that had good fuel so they'd move up there quickly and then when they'd spread out they'd be spreading out more of a flanking fire around some of the trees the better trees residual trees that you wanted to save rather than sending that that screamer right up through the top of it yeah and so again that's a very intentional type of uh ignition of the fire based on what was there fuel-wise or what was there good that was wanting to be, um, you know, let's say protected and not have, you know, any any um, damage done to a tree. Head fire really is
1: like 80 grit for us. Right after our well, our sure. timber harvest and right after our FSI or TSI, it's like, let's burn it. Well, Clean well, that slate. It, now it, it, we'll come back in and get a little bit more detailed okay. in how we burn it. Got
0: detailed with the saw. And and so so someone doesn't say, well, it sounds like you guys... You know, used fire to reduce the canopy. Well, a little bit, but the canopy was already well reduced. Well, there, if it, if anything was marketable
1: in that unit, it was taken. Yeah, and so then, and what, I and I have no plans now that Chad and I own that. We have no plans of cutting timber off that slope. It's a no. west slope. No, it, it's it's total habitat. Yeah, and so
0: at the point of with with that, you know. The canopy was way open, but it was essentially, with the firing technique utilized on the first fire, said, it's okay, we're going to be reducing this canopy by an additional 40-50% from what it's already at. If it kills some trees that we don't pick, literally, we're not going up to each individual and cutting it with a chainsaw, if it haphazardly does it, whatever, it was probably going to be gone anyhow. Mm -hmm. So, it was like this non-discriminating fire that ran up the slope, and voila, less less you have to cut because yep. then you find oh now that can be utilized from a secondary cavity nester and boom done. Yep, because a lot of those things were hollow.
1: <laughs> there were junk. It was junk trees anyway. Junky, yeah. junky,
0: junky had so, knot holes and whatnot.
1: Yeah, so that was that was one of our main. That was a fun one yesterday, and then uh, later in the afternoon. Um, we burned another unit that I have never burned personally, and I know it has not been burned in the last 15 years. hmm 17 years, I guess, is more appropriately. But So, a lot of leaf litter. Um, this is part of the farm that Chad and I bought, and it's kind of hard to access. Um, but part of that has about a three-and-a-half-acre glade on it. hmm And we cut the cedars in in february so there's another
0: habitat type that wasn't yeah. included on the other
1: yeah first burn unit and this is not a dolomite glade this is mm-hmm. actually i'm still trying to verify colby and i were talking about it yesterday but it's not you know there's another glade on the, uh part of this farm that we lease and it's a it's actual dolomite glade and this one is different. Mm, it's it's kind of weird. Rock. So um, this one has very unique plant communities, certain species we don't see anywhere else on the farm. Um, and so we cut all the cedars in February or January. I think it was late January, February, somewhere in there. It was, in it was there.
0: December and January. Okay, Chad December and January.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, December and January. Um, you know... The theory is you got to let cedars lay for a year or two to to let those. That's what you hear. That's what you hear. But I'll tell you one thing, uh, and this might be the most truthful thing I've ever told anybody on this podcast. Don't believe everything you hear and don't believe everything you read. (laughs) (laughs) Because give it a few years, it may change. Uh, I mean, it, it almost always seems like when it comes to products or when it comes to fads or these new ideas, they almost fade away um, and so try to base your foundation of land management with the principles of land management and with the natural history and natural disturbances of, of the land and go off that. And we know that this area was an open area with lots of plants, uh, herbaceous plants and grasses and uh, shouldn't have a lot of woody structure growing on it like eastern red cedar. So we cut it in December and January and our goal was to burn it. Here it is, three months later, and we burned it, and we burned up a lot of cedar skeletons. There was a lot
0: cut, and
1: I'm sure there was a lot burned. I mean, burned we'll share well. some pictures over the next uh, during this week, and then in the future of what this burn looked like and how it transforms, because we have before and after pictures coming. And I'm telling you, in just a few short months, this place changed drastically. Well, and that's the cool thing. So, so an area that
0: was extremely poor. Um, An untransformed area that could be super diverse. That was chock full of cedars, uh, chinkapins, spicebush, buckthorn. But, I mean, understory choked, choked, choked with cedars. In December was cut. Burned in March. And burned through very well from what the pictures look like. And now in the month of April, the whole entire slope will drastically changed i almost wonder if you could do like a it'd be it'd be awesome to do a species count on the slope i would i would let's just say i would not be surprised if something from the neighborhood of like 50 species on up to 250 300 species or something like that just drastically changed on this on the slope totally
1: uh in In, in
0: four months
1: in four months go from Gosh. Really kind of poor to really really awesome. I mean, you think about broodering habitat this spring; mm-hmm. it's going to be phenomenal, oh, phenomenal. Those, and then the, the just going—that's I mean, three and a half acres. I guess it ends up being so. It was five, right? It was five, really. But it was a three and a half acre glade. Um, but five. We're trying to expand the glade, even though it's not technically by government standards a glade. It, uh, has the it exact looks, same looks like a glade. It's kind of that Cheech and Chong, yeah. <laughs> you know. You yeah. know, it, it smells like, yeah, <laughs> well, it smells like it. Oh, okay. well, I mean, it looks like a glade. It grows like a glade. It's yeah. got the plant communities of a glade. But the government's paperwork
0: says, says it ain't it's a glade. not a
1: glade. <laughs>
0: so I'm going with it. It's a glade. It's a glade. <laughs> yeah. Five acre glade.
1: And so, and then you jump over on the east side slope of that and it's, it's forest. I mean, it's a backslope forest. Uh-huh. Um, but we're going to try to. Go a little bit more like a woodland, kind of thin it down, get a little bit more 80 percent um, tree canopy and twenty to thirty percent open, open sunlight, and then the whole west slope has been logged, has not been, ha- it has not had FSI on it or TSI, I guess, because we'll grow some timber in there most likely being down in that valley, and you know when it was logged and we went in there, Chad went in there and there was coneflower, echinacea mm-hmm. growing. It's like okay. You know, rattlesnake master is oh, pretty abundant master in there. Everywhere, um, there's some little blue and big blue and patches in yeah. there. Uh, Obedient there was, plant, uh, um, wild bergamot. Yeah, there. there's all kinds of different. And then, of course, black-eyed Susan. Mm-hmm. And so it's like let's let's burn this and see what happens. We backed it down through that because it's a little bit more of a forest yep. or woodland than it is a savanna or glady kind of component like the first unit that we talked about. And I think one of the big takeaways on that is just because the cedars have been freshly cut, there were some that still kind of had a green tint to them. When you get 30% humidity or 35 like it did yesterday, it's going to burn. It is going and to burn. And who cares if the trunk and a few of the big limbs don't burn up? That's going to create a good structure for our rabbit. Or for a turkey to nest against. Or for a deer to bed against. Or for a turkey poult to seek a little refuge from a, from an aerial predator. And, and frankly, I want that woody structure out there. Yeah. I don't want to have it bare ground. I think people mess up when you go from, you know, a forest, in, in real simple terms, and I'll try to do this quick because we need to wrap up, but a forest should not just be big, even-aged, monster old-growth forest with very little undergrowth. And then an open area it shouldn't be all grasses. Yeah. You should have young trees or young forests, shrubs mid-story in the forest with some herbaceous plants mixed in wherever you get a little sunlight. And then you go into the, into the field, and it should be some shrubs, some forbs, different types of shrubs, a few trees around the edges or in the little ravines. You shouldn't just have a blank canvas of, of grasses like you'd find in a CRP field. Well, and I think that's the, we're taking, we're, we're
0: specifically trying to manage for species that are, let's just call them transitional species, where you find them in some grasslands, you find them in some shrubby areas, and you find them in forests at different times of the year. You know, we're talking deer and we're talking turkeys here. So why would we try and create a, a glade that has no woody structure on it? We would want woody structure. When you go out to the plains or you go out to western Oklahoma or Texas and you're in a short grass prairie mixed with tall grass, whatever, you're in a prairie setting, where do you find the deer? You find them in either wooded draws or you find them in plum and shrub thickets in little drainage ditches because there's woody structure there. Leave it. Everyone wants to see and clean up these brush piles and this and that. Just cut them. No, first and off, don't them. create them into
1: brush piles. Most <laughs> cut time. them
0: and leave them.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, guys, I guess in in short too, um, if you've got those grass fields, if you burn and it's a real heavy base of grasses, even if you just burn it, don't stop there. Get out and do a little strip discing. Try yeah. to encourage some forb growth. Drag some trees out there. Create some down tree structures or plants from shrubs. Try to diversify every piece of, or every acre you have. If yep. it's all trees, try to incorporate plants and grasses. If it's all grasses, try to incorporate forbs find, and shrubs. Find the happy medium. Golly, it's not that hard. Let's just diversify everything. Yep. All right, guys. I guess, I, I guess we'll just so wrap mean, it up. That's pretty well it. Yeah, it's a it's a Another, good week on a fire line for yeah, us. Yeah. A great podcast with Brett Collier, Dr. Brett Collier, and Frank Longcarriage over on our other podcast this week. Hitting, um, hitting just, the road again this week,
0: too, for more consulting. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's just... You are, I'm home. Yep. yep. You're wrapping up on some reports, and then we'll head out the next week, too. Yeah. So... Man, it's a great time to be doing some habitat work. You should be shifting out of heavy TSI, bedding thicket, going more into burning and old field management. So get ready to spray those cool season grasses. We'll see you guys next week. Appreciate you listening.